Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe. We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe we have been having in-depth conversations about movies since 2011. You are telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. Season 5 had some great adaptations, like our Meryl Streep Oscar-nominated performances series. We covered adaptations like Kramer vs. Kramer, Sophie's Choice, and The French Lieutenant's Woman. It's a real Sophie's Choice between those books. <laughs> you see what, I, <laughs> see what I did there? Uh, yeah. Uh, and I don't think it's quite at the level of a real Sophie's Choice. We also did Snowpiercer for our Bong Joon-ho series, adapted from the French graphic novel Le Transpersonnage. Man, I love that movie. We had our two-part 1939 series that included adaptations like Gone with the Wind, Ninochka, The Women, and The Hound of the Baskervilles. A number of those 1939 movies, like Goodbye, Mr. Chips, also tied into our recent 1940 Academy Award Best Picture nominee series. Our naughty children horror series had creepy adaptations like The Bad Seed, Village of the Damned, The Innocents, and Children of the Corn. For our Hayao Miyazaki series, we talked about his take on Lupin III with the Castle of Cagliostro, plus his own The Wind Rises. Some great listener choice picks, too. Viridiana and The Great Escape. And for our David Mamet Wright's series, The Verdict, The Untouchables, and Glengarry Glen Ross. Plus, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang from our Shane Black series adapted from Brett Halliday's novel, Bodies Are Where You Find Them. Dive into the sources for all of these at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book you buy helps support the show. Check out thenextreel.com slash originals today and find your next read. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends... Our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. 
It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. I had a and one of those days. Do you know those days where it's like you have a thousand splinters? I don't think I've ever known one of those you days. You do. You do. I'm going to tell you what those days are. I, uh, I, I woke up. I had a headache. I've had a headache all day. You know, the headache, and it's kind of a tooth rattler, you know, where you just can't shake. It's not quite a migraine. It's just one of those annoying things. Like there's a, there's a magical dwarf hammering on your head with a shiny hammer all day long, just gently, <laughs> just okay. gently. And then I went on my run. You know, I've been running. Right. That's great. I've been running for now I've for like almost two months. Every day, every day, I've gone for a run. I feel like a new man. Until today, after two months, first time, I get a blister. A blister now. So now I'm now my head hurts and my feet hurt. And then after dinner, somebody put a large bottle away in one of the door shelves in the wrong place. And that has caused a cascade, uh, a domino effect, a cascade of bottle failure in my entire refrigerator. The, the entire, I feel like I need to take everything out of the refrigerator and start from scratch. <laughs> it that <laughs> I know it sounds ridiculous, but that has set my <laughs> set my mood. Now on the upside, I uh, I w- put on a t- a shirt today. It's a bright orange shirt that I didn't know I owned. In fact, after I'm wearing it you, for, I'm glad you finally chose to put a shirt on. Well, th- I did. I put it on in the morning. I've been wearing it all day, but but I've come to terms with the fact that I don't think it's mine. But it's quite fetching. <laughs> Is it your wife's? No, n- well. <laughs> I don't know. As she doesn't. It would be large for her. It's not like really tight. I think I would notice. <laughs> I don't know. But You've been running. It's a fetching shirt. It's a. It's bright orange. It makes me look <laughs> like a traffic cone, a little bit, but in a good way. <laughs> Let's talk about movies, shall we? Can we? T- can I tell you? This is not the trailer segment, but I want to get this out of the way. What do you think of the Angry Birds trailer? I think it's, uh, you know, it makes me laugh. I, <laughs> what, what, I'm not uh, sure what, what to What about expect. it makes you laugh specifically? Uh, the pigs. I think the pigs was the part. Really? The pigs did it about. for you? Yeah, I think I'm laughing pigs. at the fact that there's an Angry Birds movie coming out. I can't quite get over that. It's really, it's, it's, a, it's not a good concept for a film. You know, it's fine. It's an animated film. The kids will love it. It's going to make a ton of money. I don't have a problem with there being an Angry Birds movie. I'm surprised it actually took this long for them to make it. I'm really curious if it's going to make a lot of money because I think people have forgotten Angry Birds. I think they're done. Uh, You don't have kids who are still at the age where they play that game all the time. Uh, uh, No, because they've moved on. They have moved on to to other games that they are more interested in. I agree, but... It's still, I don't know, maybe it's just my house, but it's still quite popular with my kids. Well. And it's not like they go to it all the time, but they like all the different iterations of it. Hmm. 
All right. The Star, Star All Wars right. one, the Rio one, the Space one. There's lots of fun. Yeah, but versions. they've been out. Those have been out forever. I know. I, I know, have not played. I, I admit, I have not. I have not. I, and I was an Angry Birds hooligan. I was an Angry Birds hooligan. I played way too much. And uh, I, I haven't even downloaded Angry Birds 2. Not even a thing. I haven't either, but... There you I, go. I, That's I had a my lot point. of fun playing it. I... Hey, I still have fond memories of it, though. It's not like I, oh, Angry Birds. Ugh, it's so passe. All I'm saying, this is my whole point, and I never use that voice. That's a ridiculous voice. <laughs> that's, that's I would my never voice. use that. That's I what, use how, that voice all the time. That's Is that the voice that you use when you think of how I talk? Every time I'm telling my wife, oh, I was talking to Pete the other day, and he said, oh, oh Andy. Oh, Andy. <laughs> I all I'm saying is I think to your point I'm surprised how long it took I think they may be too late that's all I'm saying uh, I will say kids and they're gonna make a lot of money with it all right we shall see I will say portico oh Andy, I'm <laughs> going to say profiterole <laughs> and profiterole oh that's good what do you, you, know you do you have any good you, know, you have any good stories you know I saw a great movie this weekend Oh, Andy, do go on. <laughs> so I was waiting for that. And it's very, it's actually uncanny, the timing of watching this movie in the theater with the movie that we're talking about this week. Oh. The movie that I saw in the movie theater was none other than Alfred Hitchcock's 1960 classic, Psycho. Oh, yeah. That is a Which, classic. <laughs> <laughs> it is a classic, and it was just... I don't know. I couldn't get over the the son mother relationship in that film. What's and up with that? Thinking about the son mother relationship in the film we're talking about tonight. I was I was whenever I see a movie like that, like like a Psycho or the movie we're talking about tonight, I'm tempted to send a note to my mom and say, "Hey, uh, here's this movie," but I'm never sure what message I should should attach to that. Like, <laughs> hey, this reminded me of you. Just doesn't seem appropriate. <laughs> Thinking of you. <laughs> Thinking of you. Saw this movie. Thought of you. Uh, does not. It just doesn't. <laughs> it just doesn't work. And so I never do. Even though they're they're good movies, I'm entertained by these movies. Yeah, I am too. Hey, mom, there's, you there's, should there's... totally see this. <laughs> Remind you of anyone? Reminds me of grandma. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah just leave it at reminds me of someone in my life and winky face <laughs> right <laughs> uh so you saw psycho is what you yeah. saw me. yeah they had a a, a two-day theatrical re-release of it and so went and watched it on the big screen which is glorious to see and uh it's just you know it just makes me want to watch more uh classic films on the big screen and there's this company called fathomless that is actually i just looking at their website i'm like gosh they're releasing all sorts of movies on the big screen uh classic movies all the time like they've got back to the future one and two coming on october 15th next month in just in time for when marty arrives in 2015 right they're going to do like a home alone anniversary the original dracula roman holiday they're doing all these classic movies i'm like oh this is fantastic so I'm going to, be going to try starting start, a, start uh, hitting these more often, at least as often as I can, because it's. I always prefer stuff on the big screen. It's just so much more enveloping, and it, and uh, 
you know, just kind of wraps you into it. You don't get distracted by the phone or, you know, the laundry buzzer going off or things like that. Agreed. We got a fantastic email, uh, another uh, follow-up email uh, from our dear friend, Matthew Madrano. Yes, it was very nice um, commenting on the comments we uh, brought up about uh, his previous note about Seven. And so he had uh, more comments about Seven, and then he talked about the podcast a little bit more and just how much he loves it and loves to put it on when he uh, needs to be inspired or wants to get distracted from his everyday pay-the-bills job. Um, and, you know, it's just great to hear from him again. So thanks again, Matthew. We always love hearing from you. And, you know, yes, maybe there is another Meryl Streep series coming down the line. Maybe we will t- touch on uh, the Bridges of Madison County. We shall see. Yeah, the, we're going to be doing the, the saddest films of Meryl Streep <laughs> to follow up on our comedy. And you know what? I think we need to hear from Matthew. And, and we deeply appreciate you uh, writing in about these other people's films. But Matthew, uh, if we remember, the very first time you wrote us was was when you uh, you got a shirt. And you would put the shirt on because you were working on your screenplay. And I think we need an update on your screenplay. Uh, Absolutely. So there you go. The gauntlet has been thrown. We want to hear how you're doing, man. And uh, keep us in the loop. When can we go see it? It'll be my trailer pick. <laughs> there you go. We've got a blot spot. It's a good yes, one. Yes, we do. There's follow yes, up do. to follow up in the blot spot. I know. I like that. This is going to turn into a thing, maybe. I know. Do you want to? Uh, do you want to? Yeah. Do it? Right. A couple notes after your reaction to my Sophie's Choice blot spot. Number one, it's not that I think Kevin Klein can't do drama because he's a comedic actor. It's more that his acting style doesn't seem to change all that much in this movie from his comedic roles. So he made me chuckle. I totally, can see that. totally agree. I can see that. Yeah. Number two, you sounded surprised that this was my first time seeing Sophie's Choice, but I'd like to point out, since I started watching movies along with you guys back in March 2014, you have only covered six movies I saw before watching them for the next reel. You are expanding my horizons every single week. We like to hear that, Ben. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and Labor Day is your favorite. <laughs> Let's watch that again. Now, the blot spot for the host. Thank you, Andy, you're welcome, Ben, for being my voice in this episode. I had the exact same problems you had, particularly with a family and the strange virus subplot. The best best moments are when they show the little girl in the sewer, her struggle to survive and protect the young boy are totally engaging. Also, I greatly appreciated some of the cinematography and shot selection that Bong Joon-ho used. There were moments that I found absolutely stunning and unique for this style of film. Your rank 152 out of 202. My rank 151 out of 202. So close this week. I love it. You know what's so great about that is he said that you were his voice. You were his uh, uh, avatar, we'll call it, for this film. And yet his vote, I think, sides with me. One place higher. Oh. Don't you think? Because you liked liked it less than I did. That's right. Maybe by just one. (laughs) A <laughs> little bit of both there, I guess. What is the unit? <laughs> what is our unit there? I liked it more or less by one. One what? <laughs> I don't know what that one is. I don't know what that... We need to define a unit. I can't have this conversation unless we have units. <laughs> it doesn't fit in my calculus. Now you're getting all mathematical. Oh, I need oh, to have my mathematics. Math. Andy, let's tell the people where we're from. <laughs> where are we from? <laughs> The next reel, everybody. I'm Pete Wright, and that there is Andy Nelson. Anyang Haseo. And we spoil movies. Tonight on the show, the second in our series on the works of Bong Jun Ho with his 2009 family drama, and I'm saying that heavily in air quotes 
mother. Before we get into that, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com. Subscribe on iTunes or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And if you've ever taken sneaky pictures that might make your phone unnaturally valuable to a ne'er-do-well, you should head over to instagram.com slash thenextreel and play the next reel's Instagram hashtag ponyprize hashtag guess the movie challenge. Andy, how did our naughty photographers do this week? Well, they did pretty good this week. It was a very recent film, 2015's Focus, directed by Glenn Ficarra and John Requa, starring Will Smith and Margot Robbie. And it was, I believe it was uh, three images in. It's a pretty recent film. It is. It is a very recent film. Uh, when Kendra Midmod 83. Ooh, a new voice. The, yeah, was able to figure it out. So congratulations, Kendra. You are entered to win the 2015 Pony Prize. Congratulations, Kendra. Welcome to the club. Andy, let's do trailers. As I deeply, deeply badly as I did want to do the uh, Angry Angry Birds Birds trailer, I also wanted to do the Meadowland trailer. Mm -hmm. Holy cow. Uh, I almost did. It crazy. I wanted to do the the uh, 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 bear uh, trailer heist. Are you kidding me with De Niro and and uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan? So many great trailers hit this week. Did you notice this? I I didn't see nearly as many as you, but every one that I saw, I enjoyed. You know what I did? You know what I do? Would you like to know my secret? I do. You do a you go onto YouTube and you type mm-hmm. in official trailer, and then the filter is the last week. Oh, interesting. And you can filter it down. I just save it as a button on my uh, little uh, browser. So I hit that, and I can always see the newest trailers that just hit this last week. Aren't you clever? That's the secret. That's the whole thing. Mm. And and yet, uh, tonight, I am doing truth. Truth. Uh, finally, uh, the, our long national nightmare is over. Dan <laughs> Rather gets the uh, Robert Redford treatment. Newsroom drama. This one details the 2004 CBS 60 Minutes report investigating George W. Bush's military service and the subsequent firestorm of criticism that cost anchor Dan Rather and producer Mary Mapes their careers. Uh, Kate Blanchett plays uh, the producer. Robert Redford plays Rather. Uh, Elizabeth Moss, uh, 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 Topher Grace, Dennis Quaid, Bruce Greenwood, David Lyons, John Benjamin Hickey, Tony French, Rachel Blake. It's a it's a nice uh, long cast of very familiar people. Uh, it it looks like uh, it's another one that's just I get excited when I see Robert Redford in a newsroom. Maybe um, I get excited as you know about just movies that take place in a newsroom. I, I love TV shows that take place in a newsroom. So this gets me very excited. Uh, generally, I. Uh, this one, I think, is most interesting because of how critical it appears to be of the media right now. It is uh, very—it's uh, it, sort of au courant to, um, to be uh, leveraging this kind of uh, sentiment toward the newsroom. And so I'm really excited to see how they, how they handle this. And you know what? I, I find myself wondering if at any point—you know how you do that thing where you think, gosh, if my life, if my life is ever made into a movie— I totally want Robert Redford to play me. I wonder if Dan Rather ever did that, because that would be <laughs> awesome. I actually wonder who it's better for right now. Like, if, is it better for Robert Redford to be playing Dan Rather, or is it better for Dan Rather to have Robert Redford playing him? <laughs> it's like the chicken and the egg, <laughs> Pete. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of it? I think it looks really fantastic. It uh, It's a solid story. 
I am very interested in the story. I'm interested to learn more details about that whole unraveling. I actually have just recently begun my, uh, you know how I did my Tom Cruise uh, marathon a while back and I watched every single film of his from beginning to end. I have just recently started a Robert Redford marathon. Wow. Uh, a lot of films to watch. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, not very, I'm not very deep in it yet, but I'm thrilled to know that this is on the list. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, this one This one comes from uh, director, writer-director James Vanderbilt. is based on the memoir by Mary Mapes herself. He This is his first uh, film, uh, first certainly his first feature uh, as director. He has written a lot of stuff. He's written some stuff we've talked about, some stuff we haven't, some we love, some we don't. Uh, on our list, he made uh, with uh, Zodiac. He wrote right. the screenplay for Zodiac. He also wrote the screenplay for The Rundown, which I loved. I had a blast Me with that too. movie. Um, he wrote uh, Darkness Falls, Basic before that. He, he wrote The Losers, both amazing Spider-Man films, the reboots, the most recent reboots. Uh, White House Down, he wrote. And then he is on the team, the writing team, for Independence Day 3. That's wow. a th- That's a thing. So he should he should get off that one before. Think, think about that. Yeah, <laughs> I hear the train coming. Oh, uh, so I'm I'm actually excited to see what he does with it. This looks like a, a terrific film. Uh, October sixteenth, two thousand fifteen, coming right up. I didn't even see this coming. I didn't know it was even out there. I heard about it a while ago, and then uh, I kind of forgot. But I had heard Robert Redford was going to be playing Dan Rather. I just uh, kind of uh, just fell off the radar. So I'm glad it's back on the radar. Definitely looking forward to seeing this one. Me too. What's yours? Mine is, uh, speaking of au courant, mine is Ashby, and it's uh, it opens, it's opening right now. Go see it. <laughs> it's uh, very limited, but I wanted to talk about it because I think the trailer just looks fantastic. I was one of the people in the Mickey Rourke crowd back when he did The Wrestler. I really wanted to see him win uh, an Oscar for his performance in that film. I thought he was outstanding. Sean Penn was great in Milk, but I definitely felt Mickey Rourke um, just it was a little more fresh, more original. I enjoyed his performance more, and I really wanted to see him walk away with that Oscar. I didn't get to see that, but I really enjoy this resurgence that he's had I don't know if I'd say this is kind of riding that train, um, although he looks great in it. It looks like it's going to be a limited release and then going uh, a digital release as well. So it's by, by no stretch is it a big release that's, you know everybody's going to be talking about, but it looks so fun. And maybe it looks great because I, I love the story so much. The story of Ashby is high school student Ed Wallace enters into a friendship with his neighbor, Ashby, a retired CIA assassin who only has a few months left to live. Uh, this is this kid, and, and in one of his classes, all of the students are given an assignment to go talk to an old person and interview them to get kind of their perspective on life. And he goes and talks to his neighbor, Ashby, and finds out he's this retired assassin. And it's this coming-of-age sort of story, uh, kind of a comedy-drama romance where this retired CIA assassin, played by Rourke, is kind of helping this kid grow into himself and find himself a little more. And I just think it looks it it looks a lot of fun. It looks like it's very sweet. It uh, is the sort of thing that, uh, you know, I, I wish that I had my own retired CIA assassin when I was in high school. <laughs> 
Oh, dare to dream. <laughs> Point me in the right direction. Dare to dream. <laughs> I'm with you on Mickey Rourke. I thought he should have had it in uh, with the, the wrestler, but man, I, I, I was disappointed. But when he didn't get a nod for his portrayal of Ivan Vanko in Iron Man 2, I was, I was crushed. <laughs> I was just crushed. Uh, I'm actually more excited even uh, than Mickey Rourke than with the performance of uh, Nat Wolf, who I have come to really admire as a young actor. I think he's just uh, terrific. He's been in a number of um, kind of interesting independent films. He's been in, uh, he was just most recently in in Paper Towns. and, and, he's, I, and he's in The Intern, which is opening this weekend as ex- well. Exactly. And I think he's got a, just a really neat on-screen charisma that I'm very excited about. I think he looks great. Uh, Emma Roberts, too. Uh, she's another young actor I'm, I think is fantastic. Sarah Silverman uh, playing uh, Nate Wolf's mother in this film. Uh, I look forward to this because it. I, I think it's a stretch for her to play quite as restrained as she appears to be. Uh, and and that restraint gives her at least some so sounds like some good one-off jokes um, that we don't usually get. It's it's kind of an out of character uh, portrayal for her. So I'm excited to see that. I agree with you on Sarah Silverman. She can drive me nuts, but um, when she's in a role where she actually, I actually feel like she's actually acting and she's not just being herself, then she's I she's really I can good. It. Yes. Yep. 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 Really good. So very exciting to see that. Uh, yes. When, so, and you said it's coming out re- limited. Yeah, When's it coming out so wide? September. Uh, I, no, I, I think it's it's just a limited release September 25th, oh. and it's being released digitally September 25th as well. Oh. Yeah. Oh, go get it. So go check it out like right, right now. now. That's what All I'm right, talking then. about. All right. Well, aren't you timely? That's what I like to be. You know, Andy. You always eat well when you come home from the police station. Mother 2009, uh, Bong Joon-ho uh, directed this film. He also wrote it with Park Yun-ko. Uh, Yun Kyo, and uh, it stars Kim Hye-ja and Won Bin, among others. It is uh, the story of uh, the lengths to which a mother will go uh, to protect and exonerate her son from a crime she believes he did not commit. Man, what did you think of it? I actually really liked it. <laughs> I, I really... Compared to the host, this one I found the characters really compelling. I enjoyed watching this mother, this unnamed mother, we just know her as mother, um, try to figure out what's going on. And just the way that she interacts with people, the way she's overprotective of her son, who is kind of slightly um, just mentally undeveloped, a little slow... Um, I, I loved the performance of the young kid. I, at first, I thought it was very strange um, that I was like, is this a is this a Bong Joon Ho thing? He really likes having his stories focus on on people who are mentally 
not quite all there because uh, we certainly had that in the host. We had it here, but I thought it was great here. I thought it worked really well in context of the story. And I just thought that uh, Kim Hye-ja just gave a mesmerizing performance. I really enjoyed watching her. Um, she broke my heart a lot. And she it's just one of those, it's one of those stories about a, a person that sometimes you just can't agree with them. Sometimes you don't see uh, eye to eye with the decisions that they're making. But I still uh, found her compelling all the time. And I was still, uh, I, I found empathy for her all the time. I could not agree more. I She was unbelievable um, in, in her portrayal of, I mean, she was, she was nuts. Uh, for like her her motherhood was off the rails, and yet somehow she she kept bringing it back to this uh, this really human place, and and I found it. Um, you know, you you bring up Psycho, and and you know the comparison is it's not really apt. Uh, yeah, not completely. Not not completely. I mean, they don't, they don't quite go that far. Um, and and I think that's really what what makes this film so touching is because really as as kind of crazy as as she is about her mothering relationship uh it, it is still really approachable and and believable um that she is so protective particularly in this community which i thought was another really beautifully portrayed uh thing to the point where I, it made it reminded me of a cross kind of between brick uh kind of the the detectivery of it and city of god right the where we get this this encapsulated kind of universe that that we don't really step out of um and uh, it it has its own kind of identity um and i i found that the combination of those elements made the whole package really surprisingly touching and and engaging. I found myself really, um, really right with the mystery of it. Uh, and I'm sure, after only watching it once, I'm sure I missed some stuff um, in in terms of how the how the story lays out. And uh, but uh, I really really enjoyed it. Do you want to walk through the the uh, the mystery part apart from the fact that the m- mother is trying to exonerate her son you want to lay out a little bit of the plot uh yeah i i'll try to do it as simply as i can i mean basically a young girl is murdered and it happens to be a young girl that her son uh dojun saw the night before she's murdered he's kind of following her and talking to her he's drunk um he doesn't really remember what happens he just you know, as he's talking to her, all of a sudden a giant rock is thrown out from where she went, and he kind of seems to remember stumbling off and away. The girl is murdered. There is evidence that he was there at the scene of the crime, and so the cops look at it and go, okay, so he did it. Now, mom doesn't agree, and so she talks to uh, Jintai, who is this friend of Dojun's that is pretty much a bad seed sort of kid, um, very much kind of always coming up with schemes to make money. And he certainly takes her for quite a bit of money, even though he is a very helpful boy. Um, so she she thinks that he's uh, he might have done it. She uh, then uses him or works with Jintai to basically kind of figure out more about this girl who was killed, why she was killed. And she starts going down these different rabbit holes trying to figure out what happened. And she ends up, finding all the clues to actually solve the mystery, which is very interesting. Meanwhile, the cops 
end up kind of solving it themselves, not necessarily correctly. And uh, the resolution of the film ends up being a very interesting one where you know what the truth is. The police have their own truths. The police um, have let Dojun go because they believe this other mentally uh, challenged boy who had escaped an asylum had actually done it. And they they put him away. And now uh, mother and son are reunited. And uh, it's a very interesting way that it comes together in the end. But but it ends up that, that Dojun had done it. It ends up that Dojun had done it. And put the body on display in this particular way where he put her, put her on top of the roof hoping that somebody would see her quickly so that they could help her and that she wouldn't die. Um, it fails. She dies. Um, he doesn't remember any of this and he comes to it later. Uh, I guess there, that's, you know, I, I guess that's up for speculation. Does he always remember it and he only finally admits it to her at the end when he realizes what she herself has done, which is killing this other person that he kind of leads her to believe actually did it. Um, it's, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I that's the, that's the twist for me too. I, I don't know. Um, and I, I think that's really a fun one. I mean, that, that ends up being a real one that I'm not disappointed to have been left with, uh, at right. the end of the film, uh, because the parallel in their, you know, experience that, that, uh, um, you know, Dujun has this, problem when people call him, you know, uh, derogatory names about sort of his intelligence, he flips out. And we see a number of times him flipping out on, you know, other people. And so it is not a uh, surprise to discover that he, you know, may have flipped out on over this girl and killed her. Unintentionally. I mean, he he threw a rock. I don't think he meant meant to kill her. He just meant to kind of Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think he was he was uh, malicious at all. And but then how do you you know I'm I'm sitting here sort of characterizing mother's response uh, pretty much the same way. Like I, I don't think I think she you know I don't think she intentionally killed the junk man. I don't right. think she intentionally you know beat him many times with a wrench. <laughs> uh, I, I think she went into to you know this crescendo of maternal rage. Yeah. Uh, and that protective rage that that just bubbled up, and I think she, you know, uh, Kim Hye Ja just really uh, delivered in this particular sequence that that blinded uh, rage that allowed her to do such horrible things. Uh, right. And again, you know that that reminded me a bit of Prisoners. You know what we see when we're we're challenged as parents in this way. What what lengths would we to what lengths would we go? To protect our children, I think that was a that was a really interesting uh, statement that the film made. And then her her resolution is to, you know, is to to burn the place down. And again, she makes a symbol of it. Right, it becomes an an accident to hide the the fact that she did it. Um, but really, they ended up responding very similar ways. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, then it ended very in a very interesting way when you see her son basically tell her what happened and why he why he put the body the way he did um because he was hoping that she didn't die um and he knew that it was an accident and he was ashamed of himself and all that um and the mother's horror and rage that that scene is just played beautifully the way that she's just denying it but it's also just that 
pain of of trying not to accept something that you know is true, the way that she deals with that, and the horror of that moment when he gives her that acupuncture, uh, her her acupuncture needles that he found at the side of the of the junk junk shop that was burned down. He found it there that she had left behind um, accidentally, and so that's his acknowledgement that I know what you did for me, sort of thing. Um, very interesting moment. And then the fact that she gives herself that acupuncture needle that we've heard her talk about several times. She knows a certain meridian point where if you put the acupuncture needle there, it'll help you forget sort of thing. And we see her at the end. She gives herself or, you know, she, I don't know what you call it, but she punctures herself with that needle. <laughs> what do you she, call it when you uh, poke yourself ac- with a needle? Acupunctures. <laughs> She she acupunctures she, she, herself. I'm making that up too. I don't know what the what the verb is. <laughs> I don't know. She inserts Perforates. the needle <laughs> into that meridian point so that she'll forget. And then it's a mesmerizing, horrifying, beautiful moment that she has at the end when she's on this tour bus for a bunch of kind of older people to go I don't know where but they all start dancing on the bus and after she acupunctures herself with this needle she gets up and starts dancing with them as if she's using this moment to kind of forget about all the horrible stuff that has happened so that she can just live in I guess the present and just you know be in the now with her son which I thought was like I said, it's beautiful, horrifying, all of those things. I just, it was a great ending to the film. It, it was an interesting parallel. I, I'm trying, I've been trying to figure out the connection between the end of the film and the very, very beginning of the film where we see her walking through the field of, of grass and she starts dancing there too. What's the connection between the two uh, bits there? Do you think? You know, I don't know. I found that, um, to be a very interesting opening to the film. It was very intentionally breaking the fourth wall. She walks through this field of grass up to the camera and then starts dancing to this, um, I can't remember the music type. It was kind of like a Latin beat sort of music, right? Yeah, it was funny, sort of uncharacteristic beat. Yeah, and she's just dancing in this field of, of grass looking at the camera as if she's watching us and and almost this confrontational way like i don't know like look at me burying myself here um and then there's that moment where she kind of covers her face like she's you know like she's gonna cry or something you can kind of see her her mouth under there it looks like that kind of that that mouth you make when you're kind of like that that crying sort of mouth yeah and it's I don't know. It's very confrontational. It's very there's joy. There's also kind of this melancholy feel to it. There's this this sadness. There's a lot of emotions going through that scene, and because of the way she's confronting us, it's almost like she's challenging us to look at this story that's about to happen and ask ourselves, what would we do in her shoes? Right. Right. Yeah, I I uh, I can see that. That that's a it ends up being kind of a beautiful sequence, but it, it's it's out of context until you get to the end. I think I don't, I don't think it ends up kind of speaking to me until I see her dance at the end. And that well, that, I was I was certainly wondering when we got back to that scene where she makes it to that field after having burned the barn. 
um, I was like, okay, so now we're watching that her walk up this hill from the backside, essentially, and then we kind of see her from the front, but she just kind of keeps on going. Mm-hmm. And so it was interesting to have had that moment placed in there uh, almost arbitrarily, but yeah, it does make you wonder. It does. I Okay, the other thing that makes me wonder, and I'm jumping around just a little bit, um, when Dojon has been arrested, right? Uh-huh. He's yep. taken away. Um, he's put in the car. They drive a little bit, and then the car is is wrecked by a, a van, which when I first saw it, I, I thought, oh, my God, mother has gotten in a van, and she just went and wrecked the car. <laughs> I thought this was it was a rescue. And I don't know if that would have been better for me, but I thought <laughs> that's what I thought immediately. <laughs> Turns out it was not. She was still on the street. Uh, she comes up to him at the end, and he... He's in the car, and at that point, uh, the officer puts the um, the handcuffs on him and says, you know, you're officially under arrest. And Mother is standing outside the car window, and he's sitting inside the car window. Do you remember the sequence? And she okay. says, are you hurt? Are you hurt? Turn your head. Are you hurt? And his response to her, he looks up, and he holds his wrists together up to the window to show that she is handcuffed, or that he's handcuffed at this point, and then he smiles. Mm-hmm. What's your take on that? I don't know. I it's 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 yeah. I'm not quite sure. What is yours? Well, I I really like it, and I think it's that is a that to me is a data point in the building of Yundujun's character because we can you know from the very beginning we see him want to try to live up to an image a, a really immature unsophisticated image of cool right uh-huh. of of what uh, you know relevance is because what he sees is Jintae as relevant he's hanging out with Jintae he's like he's hit by a car for crying out loud and he and Jintae go out to find the white bends in the beginning and give those you know those <laughs> rich doctors a, a, a seeing to and there's this there's this really kind of slapstick comedic element where Jintae comes up to the car and he jumps up in the air and he breaks off the side mirror and then uh Dujun tries to do the same thing and and falls on his uh, back. He can't can't make the jump, and so. But you see him trying to mimic this behavior and try to be cool. And um, it, you know, throughout the entire film, I had myself. I, I found myself thinking, I I don't think he did it, because. But I think he's perpetuating a lie because to him, all this attention is positive feedback. Like this is the only time where he's got people who are really paying attention to him and who he is and what he does, and it's reflected again as he's walking. They do kind of the perp walk, right? They have him up on the roof, and the town is filled with people watching and taking pictures. And he's he takes his little mask off and he waves at at the girl, uh, you know, his girlfriend across the the crowd, uh, and smiles because look at all this attention. I'm famous now, right? I mean, does that ring any sort of bells for you? No, I think you're right. I think that absolutely sounds like what is happening here. This is a, this this attention that Dujun has not had before, and all of a sudden, he is more of the center of attention than even Jintae is. And for him, it's uh, it's kind of that welcome sense of being accepted in a weird way. So I can totally see that. I think you're on the right track there. It it does call into question that sort of line of thinking when you actually see how 
you know, she died. That, that, like, I, because I, the whole time I'm thinking he, there's no way he did it because he's just going for atten- attention. But if, if it turns out he really did it, um, then you question, then he becomes an unreliable kind of character. Well, the role that, of the unreliable emotional narrator. And that's the interesting thing about, about the character of Dujun because he, we see him not remembering things. Like, he doesn't remember not having broken that mirror. When Jintae says, oh, he's the one who broke the mirror off of the bends, he's like, oh, yeah, I did that. And it costs him and his mother $1,500 to get that mirror fixed, even though Jintae is the one that, that did it. And it's not until much later when his mother is asking him questions and he's in prison that he's just like, oh, I just remembered. I didn't break that mirror. It was Jintae who broke that mirror. So you think uh, you think he really legitimately didn't remember that? Yeah, I think that's just how his brain works. I don't think things click in his brain very well. And I think it took a long time for him to place that. Like, oh, yeah, wait a minute. I I fell down when I did that. I think that the way that I read it is that he was uh, he was slow. And when Jintae said, oh, you're the one who did it, he's just like, oh, yeah. You know, and and I think that it's easy for him, especially with a strong personality like Jintae, who who basically tells him it's like how a, a hypnotist sort of works. Jintae tells him he did it, and he buys into it. Oh yeah, I did do that, and I think it's the same thing. And I I, I do feel like that moment toward the end when he remembers seeing the junk man in the room, and we actually see it from his perspective, like we're in his head watching that moment play out as he rewinds and fast forwards to see that person in that shop or in the, in the lower floor of that kind of abandoned house where where uh, moon was killed um that was a uh a, another moment where i actually bought into and maybe it's because of the filmmaking the way that uh, Juno Ho chose to shoot that scene where we were inside uh, Dujun's head watching the scene rewind fast forward so that he could pinpoint that face of the junk man. And that, when you see filmmaking like that, that is essentially saying, because I am showing this to you, this is what's happening right now. And it's, it's you know, you talk about unreliable narrator, then it gets into unreliable filmmaker. Are we buying into what Jun Ho is showing us, or uh, or is Jun Ho also perpetrating the lies as far as how the narration is unfolding? Well, and yes, okay, that to me is what made it such an interesting uh, experience. I I think that the way he plays with setting up Jun Ho as a character, setting him up as somebody who we know has uh, some sort of, some level of intellectual deficit uh, and who we know is at some level unreliable, but we don't know why. We don't know if we can trust his intention or our expectations of him. Uh, And then to make him such a pivotal role in ultimately this mystery, I think, is he does that exceptionally well uh, in in this film. The the last point on Junho or uh, Dujun in particular is the um you know when he remembers speaking of his memory when he remembers that when he was 5 years old his mother tried to kill him with insecticide right. um that ends up being a, a sort of seminal moment in in their relationship certainly um al- although not terribly transformational uh when you look at sort of how it plays out um 
what what's your sense of of their um, sort of parallel journey with regard to her trying to kill her son and then kill herself? I think a lot of it is just the unfolding of the the truth as we learn all of this and as he learns it or remembers it and as their relationships uh, change and evolve. I mean, it's not the end of their relationship, but it, it certainly was a moment of growth for him, I guess you could say, where he hits this point, he remembers this thing that happened when he was five years old, and that all of a sudden paints his mother in a different light, and he closes her out at that moment, which was a, a very interesting moment of his growth and his transformation. And he changes eventually, and and uh, as he remembers um, more about the story, we see that he wants his uh, mother back so he can talk to her about all this. But it's it's a it's a an important moment to see the evolution of him as a character and also her as she is coming having to come to terms with decisions that she's made over her life and i think that's what keeps happening over the course of this film for both of them is and see this is why i go back to buying into the fact that he didn't remember that he killed moon but it's something that he comes to remember as he starts remembering that he saw the junk man there. And see, I'm kind of going back to that now because I like the idea that these are two characters who keep having to deal with things that they've put out of their mind. She all of a sudden now has to face this reality that she did try to kill her son, and she has to go back to that place, and she has to now be able to talk to her son about it. He has to acknowledge the fact that he did kill this girl, and he has to talk about it. He brings up the truth of what she did to the junk man, and now she has to acknowledge the fact that not only did she actually kill this guy, but her son knows. It's very interesting the way that these truths play out over the course of the film and how it creates this constant evolution in these two characters and their relationship. I think one of the best sort of visual moments of this film that that I think really underscores the complexity of their relationship is when uh, he's waiting for the bus and she's making him drink drink soup while he's peeing on a wall. And then when he gets on the bus to leave, she kind of you know scuffs at the ground to to cover cover up his pee, like she's she wants to kind of hide the uh, mess that her son is. It was really I wrote my notes. What a strange relationship. (laughs) Strange relationship was... on so many. I mean, it, in so many little moments in the film, from from this moment where she she covers his pee, uh, they get they sleep in the same bed together, um, it, with a very strange level of affection uh, in in their just sort of sleep intimacy. Um, the the way they she feeds him and cares for him and talks about his potential sex life with him and uh, it is just wildly culturally inappropriate based on sort of where we live. It is. It is. It does feel very um, uh, old world. There's this, there's this sense. I don't yeah. know. It, it reminded me, it brought me back to the relationship of the, uh, the last emperor of him and his mother. <laughs> the same yeah. sort of, same sort of, well, I think that one is a little more uh, strange. But it is this, it's this relationship where he just has not grown up and he still is like this little boy inside this grown up body. And it's very interesting to see the way that the relationship worked and the way that 
sometimes you got a sense that he was that way because he was um, mentally challenged and had to deal with that. And sometimes you get a sense that he's that way because she treats him this way and has created this in him. Yeah, you know, not just in him, but I think that that's another example of how the community is an example of one that is just frozen in time. You know, they have cars, they have, um, you know, they have booze and restaurants and all the trappings of of kind of modern civilization. But just like he is sort of trapped in a in a grown up's body, I think that their community is one that is culturally sort of trapped in their own space too. Um, that in spite of some of the trappings of, of sophistication, you know, the CSI sequence where we have them doing the crime scene investigation, uh, it's still such a, you know, a, such a, a small community, a frozen community. Like, as they even said, we haven't had a murder in years. Like, we don't even know what to do. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I thought that was really, that was really interesting. The way they put him frozen inside a frozen place, that felt very much to me. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, Bong Joon Ho's just straight up filmmaking. I had, I and I enjoyed the host. I had a much better time, even than watching the host, watching Mother. Yes, I did too. Visually, it was complex and beautiful, and I think maybe it's a result of the fact for me that the tone of the film matched the visual. And, and sort of cinematic sophistication of the filmmaker. It was the style fit. And there was humor, and sometimes it was silly humor, but it worked much more in context of the characters this time. Like, I actually felt everything congealed much more strongly. Yeah. There's an interesting he- thing. As I was going through pulling stills, there's an interesting like trend when you look at them. He, he has a real knack for shooting wide, which he also did in you know in the host. And we talked about that a little bit that last week. But he also has a sense for putting the the subject of the frame in the lower right. Did you uh-huh. notice that he leans right? Yeah. I th- I found I found myself really fixated on that point. What is that all about? Am I supposed to make sense of that? Like is he is that a visual trope that's supposed to tell me something else about the story? Even even in the close-ups, like uh, the wide shots where she's like covering his pee, she's tiny little red uh figure against this giant blue wall. It's really beautiful, but but even the close-ups of uh Jinte's fingers, sleeping fingers hanging off the bed as the water drips up. They're 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 in a very wide scape of the frame. They are, the tips of his fingers are low right. What's up with that? Yeah, I don't know. It's just an interesting signature style, I guess, that makes it easier to pinpoint that this is a director who who knows how to tell a story the way that he wants to tell it. I think he definitely has a style. Um, You can see it definitely in these two films. I can't quite remember um, how much of that also comes through in Snowpiercer. I'm quite excited to look at that one again and see uh, what we see in that one. And it, I, I will say, all of this has made me really want to go back and watch his first two films, neither of which I had seen before. You know, he he said an interesting quote that I found. He says, I am interested in reality, not realism. I think that's an interesting way of looking at what he's trying to do with his films. You know, reality of creating situations that feel real but aren't like real like realism 
seems like you're going for that authentic way that things really are. And reality, I mean, he he goes on to say, I get excited when I show typically weird Korean style reality using something superficial or extroverted things of Korea, some kind of weird reality that only Koreans show. I think that there's, it's an interesting line between reality and realism. And I think that reality allows for just the strangeness of things that actually happen and and the way things unfold. And there's definitely a lot of strangeness going on in this film, like um, Jin Tae's relationship with mother um, and Dojun. I think he has an interesting relationship with both of those characters. Um, The way that... Uh, the way that things unfold, the way the cops react, everything, there's always kind of this odd sense of things. And uh, I, I mean, life does have its oddities. And I think that is what he's saying there, the difference between reality and realism. I don't know. That's a that's an interesting point because I you know, I immediately go to the fantastical, you know, and I'm looking for, for something that is somehow um you know more cerebral than I got in, in Mother. It's it's a really it's a gritty film. Um, and and yet, you mentioned the relationship between Mother and Jin Tae, and, and how well is that depicted during the interrogation sequence, where uh, Jin Tae becomes not just kind of uh, this this guy who's transformed from the Eddie Haskell kind of m- mode uh, into, um, you know, a street tough, uh, but he also takes on very much a caretaker role, kind of replacing her son, who is... Um, not able to speak for himself at that point. Uh, and just, I mean, it illustrates this just instantaneous violence, uh, through his, his thuggery that, uh, that is shocking and, uh, and strangely, uh, satisfying and beautiful at the same time. Right. It, it is what I want to see. Uh, but one of the things that I thought was really cool about it is I think that sequence, it happens a couple of times in the film, really highlights some of the great filmmaking techniques that I think uh, Jun-ho illustrates here, where uh, we get a flashback in that sequence that is really surprising. And it's, it's great the way it plays into the, um, and I don't know if this is the result of just smart cinematography by uh, uh, Hong Kyung-po, Pyo, uh, who also did Snowpiercer, we'll talk about next week. But he, uh, you know, one of the, one of the guys is being interrogated. Uh, we have a close-up on his face, and then the camera pans down uh, into his lap where we see the girl, uh, is her head is in his lap as if she'd been there all along, and they end up having a conversation uh, when she wasn't there all along. And then, you know, it pans back up a, a little bit later, and we're back in, in this little weird kind of uh, cell for the to carry on the interrogation scene. I thought that was a really elegant way to bring her and and this little flashback back into the into the screen and again to me has begun to really solidify the style in my in my mind's eye of a Bong Joon-ho film. Yeah, that uh I I'm glad you brought up that flashback. I that was something else that I wrote down in my notes when I saw it. It's just such an interesting way to do that. And it felt more stylistic than most anything else in this film in particular, just the way that is kind of the cinematic trickery of it. But it didn't feel out of place. It actually felt uh, a part of his overall style. And so I still liked the way that he did did that and the way that it fit in here. 
again, I you know you've now that we've seen this and the host, I'm so excited to watch Snowpiercer again. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, my memory of that is is going very well. Uh, production design, uh, Ryu Song Hei. Um, I, I I can't tell you how much I really enjoyed the the setting uh, in this place. It felt so much like you know, kind of just down the street from where I used to live. You know, I mean, it was it was really. Um, I think this that frozen, uh, the frozen village I- effect is just really right at home for me. Well, something else that I really appreciate about what uh, Seong Hye did in the uh, in the design of the look here is the layers all through it. There are screens all over the place, like torn screens, full screens, windows, broken windows. Um, laundry there's just it always feels like there's layers of things going on and that works so well when you're telling the story about these unfolding truths and the way that it all folds together it helps um create this you know kind of this this feel that you're actually in here and you're constantly wanting to kind of peel these layers back to get at what the truth is yeah you know you you brought up the sequence where we're kind of forward and backward in time um, the the kind of unveiling of uh, you know the the son's memory and that's such a great showcase of of that particular style uh, of of demonstrating the layers and the screens and the broken windows it was just really beautiful um, in this case uh, I really noticed the music yeah great music here uh, Lee Byung Woo again who who did the host but. Yeah. Really didn't like it in the host, but it was very strong here. Strong and and a character in itself. He mentioned the the opening sequence, I, I, which I thought was so great. And between the opening sequence and the closing sequence, which have really unique um, tunes to them, um, I, I think it was it it really served well to thread the whole piece. I enjoyed it. This like last time I said the music just didn't ever feel like it completely fit. This time it actually felt always like it fit and it, it just worked really nicely. Yeah. We should talk about Bin Wan. Bin Wan yes, is the other uh, really central figure, the son. Uh, and my goodness, he's fantastic. He is great in this role. I think he does this role so well where I totally bought into the fact that he is kind of this slow, dim-witted sort of, uh, sort of person. And reading up about him, it sounds like he's kind of this you know, heartthrob actor in Korea. And I think that that just goes to show how strong of a performance this is. You think this was his uh, 12 Monkeys? I was going to say, I think this is his My Left Foot. Oh, trumped. That's even better. <laughs> Dang. Uh, I, yes, I, he was, I thought he was terrific. And once you start kind of digging into his credits and you see just even, uh, you know, there's so many of his movies I have not seen. But once you start looking at his credits and you see his, um, you know, you just see the promotional material that include him. Um, my goodness, he's a handsome fella. And he looks fully there. Yeah. <laughs> my goodness. With- which just uh, it just it really blows me away what he did here in Mother. It I I have on my list, uh, which actually I think is performs uh, better in terms of user ratings. The Man from Nowhere, two thousand ten, uh, quiet pawn shop keeper with a violent past, takes a drug and organ trafficking ring in hopes of saving a child who is his only friend. It's again, it's uh, sounds like your life story. 
It pretty much is my life story. Yeah, um, I, I, the, I makes me want to catch up on uh, on Ben Wan's uh, work. He's a, uh, he's quite the leading man. Maybe we'll have to do a Ben Wan series. We'll do a Ben Wan series. That's right. Love you it. Go, you go, Korea. The only other thing that I was going to mention was that um, this was a film that uh, Jun Ho actually came up with specifically uh, for uh, Kim K. Josh. He, uh, she is like this actress who has been like very uh, well known in Korea she's all over the place on TV uh, and has been for decades and people know her as this mother character and that's kind of what she's always been known for and he wanted to cast her in a film and but kind of like twist that as far as like what people thought of her as a mother and i think it's fantastic that he ended up coming up with this story along with his uh co-writer um to tell this story and i'm I'm thrilled that she went along now i've never seen anything else that she's done so i don't know i don't have that perspective of like watching june cleaver i actually there's the there's a good example watching june cleaver in airplane when she's speaking jive that was a great (laughs) a great way to kind of twist what we knew of june cleaver right uh you know and uh this is the same sort of thing in a darker vein, obviously, but taking this woman who had been such a well-known, wonderful mother and turning her into this mother who would go to dark lengths to protect her son. She was in, and she is her, I think this is unfortunate, uh, but her IMDb credits are are woefully thin, but immediately before mother, she played, uh, she was on a TV series called Princess Hours in which she played a character called Queen Mother. Right. Uh, and she was in, she's been in that for some time. So I think that was, I, she was meant to play this part. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, were you able to find any, uh, performance related data? It did well for itself. This movie, um, kind of like, uh, kind of like last time it did better in Korea. Um, it did quite well in Korea here it uh, had a very limited release in the U.S., and uh, that's just how these things go sometimes. But it cost, in U.S. dollars, about $5 million to make. Um, and again, this was 2009, so adjusted, it's not that different. It's about $5.45 million. It ended up making, here in the U.S. when it was released, only about $550,000. Not a ton of money. But in Korea and uh, the rest of the world where it was released, it made $16.5 million. So it, it did quite well. That's about $18 million in adjusted dollars. So all told, it ended up making about $103,000 per finished minute. Nice film. Keeps, keeps people working. Absolutely. Uh, I think we should probably get to uh, ranking it. Let's do it. I'm optimistic on this one. I am too. I All right. It. We're going to head over to uh, flickchart.com slash the next reel, and you're going to sign up uh, there and set up your account, and you're going to, you should, what you should do is you should create an account that's just specific for, for the next reel, and you can just go back through ours, and uh, and you can, uh, you know, rank all the films, and let's start, let's play the game, make the game of it. How well does your ranking line up with our ranking? This first one is a great example of mother and child pairing here. Mother or Carrie? Mother. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little torn, actually, because I really, really, really like Carrie. I do, I, you know, I do, too. strong horror what, movie. What is, the, what is Carrie on our list? What number is that? Do you know? Um, I don't know. 
Let me it, look. It doesn't say. Well, you it doesn't when you're now. when you're in the middle of a rank. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't no, say. All right. I I'm uh, I'm definitely mother on this one. It's much I'll say more mother. complex, layered. Yeah, I will. I'll agree. Carrie Carrie is probably one I'll watch first, but I will agree. Mother is a much more complex film. Mother, this is a hard one. Sleepless in Seattle. I'm sleepless in Seattle on this one. Really? I am. Yes. I I no. I'm honestly torn. I. I really enjoyed my experience with Mother. I think it was just a, a beautifully made film, a beautifully executed story. Um, I completely agree. And I don't, I, I don't find it like I, I watch Sleepless in Seattle. I, I do very much like that film. I think it's great. I, I just think I might put Mother on first. Okay. Are I we going to go to the mats on this one? I just, it's so hard to go to the mats so early. Well, if you got to do it, you got to do it. I'm going to do it. Let's do it. All right. All right. Ready? One, One two, two, three. three. Scissors. Scissors. Uh-huh. Ooh. One, One, two, two three. three. Scissors. <sighs> <laughs> Sorry, man. All right. Hey. Sleepless takes it. Mother or the town? The town. And see here, I would say mother. I'll give you. Mother. I love. Not, I love the town. Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm not so torn on it that. Okay. Mother or Apollo thirteen. Apollo thirteen. Apollo thirteen for sure. Mother or Marathon Man. Mother. Hmm. Is it safe? Hey, they're both sort of dental films. <laughs> I will say mother. All right. Uh, mother or the Prestige. The Prestige. Yeah, I'll say The Prestige. Although I'm tempted to say Mother on that one. Mother or The Abyss. Mm. I will say The Abyss. Yeah, I'll say The Abyss too. Mother or Force Majeure. Oh, dear. I'll say Mother. They're they're both really interesting they're character films, films, but I I did find Mother to have more compelling stuff going on. I do too, Mother. All right, there it is, number sixty-eight out mm. of two hundred three. If only I could have won. <laughs> Stupid uh, paper. Sorry. <laughs> That still is pretty good. It's in really strong company. I mean, it's above the treasure of this year, Madre, for Pete's sake. Yeah, that's true. There you go. So, it's in good company. Uh, where uh, where do we go well, from here? Oh, we have a letterboxed. Hey, Andy, yeah, well, let's do letterboxed. Oh, uh, let's do letterboxed. <laughs> what? I'm gonna give this uh, four stars. What's your star rating? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I just retconned our show. I made it look like I knew what I was talking about because I said it so fast. <laughs> That's right. I know exactly what's going on here. <laughs> Love it. Uh, where do we go from here, as we have already alluded to a number of times? We're going to be finishing our short Bong Joon-ho series with uh, his most recent wonderful film, Snowpiercer. Ooh, Snowpiercer. It's a train movie. woo woo I'm not sure what voice that was. <laughs> That's my train. 
<laughs> that was, that was the Pete as or Pete doing Andy as Kermit. Yeah, yeah, sure, okay. sure. Uh, and Snowpiercer is available for rent and purchase on iTunes. It is available to stream on Netflix uh, streaming if you have a Netflix account. In I am speaking in the U.S. Uh, and uh, it is also available on Amazon, uh, but not Prime. I don't think it's uh, part of the Prime. Thing. You gotta you gotta rent it. So there you go. There you go. Check it out. Join us. Watch it. Join the conversation next week. Um, I think that's it. I think I, I think at this point now I uh, really have to go to bed. All right. I got a I got an old junk man down the road. I got to go pay him a visit. Okay, so mine is uh, from uh, the good uh, Amit Talpaid. Mm. Nothing, nothing like a mother's love for three stars. Three stars. Keep that in mind. Bong Joon-ho is, in my humble opinion, one of the greatest directors that we have. Movies like Memories of Murder and The Host are some of his directorial achievements. Each one of his films have left a lasting impression on me. Mother continues his winning streak. A Korean mother searches for a real for the real killer when her special son is falsely accused of this crime. The movie is full of surprises. And it is at the end that there is a shocker and raises several questions about morals and links people will go to to save their loved ones. Enjoyed it and recommend it. Three stars. <laughs> that's a. I mean, that's a. That's a critical uh, uh, judge of stars, is what that is. That I can't wait to see what that person does for a five star movie. Right. Yeah. All right. What's yours? Well, mine is by Berdina Wright. Who says, this is a crazy movie. <laughs> Two stars from Berdina. I would not buy this movie if it was one dollar. I don't know where that voice is coming from. I don't from. know where that you're channeling something. <laughs> In my opinion, a real mother would do the right thing, whether it is her son or not. I don't want to spoil the movie for anyone, but you can definitely find something else to do with your time than watch this silly movie. It was a total waste of time. Goodness, Bertina. Would you come and read me Goodnight Moon? <laughs> good night, Brush. Good night, Ratty Cat. And good riddance. Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. 
After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today.